0: Anyone here heard of Lasse Viren? Probably not. He was called the Flying Finn, and he has what's arguably the greatest comeback in Olympic history. So it was 1972. He was running the 10K, and as he was running, um, Frank Shorter, an American, tripped him, and he tripped up. So here's a picture of him falling down in the Olympics, right? Um, I guess Frank Shorter has my philosophy on running. If you cannot beat them, trip them, right? (laughs) So he did that. I mean, he should have been done, that should have been it, it's over, but not the flying fin. He stood up, gathered himself up, shook off the dust, and started running. And he ran, caught up to the crew at two and a half laps past them, won the gold, and broke the world record in the 10K. Pretty cool guy, right? So love him. He is, to me, the example of Proverbs 24:16 that says this. The righteous will fall down seven times, but they'll get back up. So we're in this epistle, 1 John. And 1 John John is now going to turn his attention to what happens when life trips you up, when sin snares you, when you have the condemnation of the enemy, when you're distracted, when you're deceived, when things are going bad, what do you do? How do you get back up? So John's gonna give us, really, this is how you get back up. This is how you keep running. And it's brilliant. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 1, Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John begins God-centric. So we're gonna be in the epistle of John for a little while and what you're gonna see is he will keep coming back to God. God, God, God. And he says this, God is light. And what he says about this is there's a message, verse five, that we've heard and we proclaim. It's a proclaimed message about God. Not what we think about God or not how we feel towards God. This is objective truth about God, right? Right? because a lot of people have crazy thoughts about God. Some people, oh, God is a force, like Star Wars. No, not really, right? Or you go to Portland, what is God like? Oh, she is awesome, right? Not really. So it's like, this isn't how you feel or what you think. This is a proclaimed message, and the proclaimed message of the Bible is called the good news. Now, what's news? Well, hopefully, news is facts things that actually happened, right? News is not wise sayings or tools or practical stuff. News is just, this is what happened. Let me tell you what happened. That's the news. So before the internet and before the printing press, the way you got your news was one way. There'd be a kite, who was called a herald, and he would get the news and then he would start running. And he would have a certain number of towns that he would run through. He'd run into the town and he would Shout out, I've got news. I've got something to say. People would gather around him and then he would tell them the news. So they'd all be waiting. What is he gonna say? And he would say, a stitch in time saves nine. See you later. Now, that's not news, right? That's a wise saying. He would say, the battle has been won. You're free. A new king has been crowned. Rejoice, right? That's real news. News. So John is saying here, hey, there's a message that we've heard and we proclaim. It is real news. Christianity, our deep end, it does not get any deeper than this, is the proclaimed good news that God became a man, dwelt, lived, died, resurrected. And because of his life, death, and burial, we are now able to have a restored relationship with the Father. That's it. That's the good news. Here's what happens though. Too often, we want to skip the news and we want to get to the results. We're going to get to tools, Matt, don't tell me about that. Just tell me how to love people or tell me how to have a better marriage or to be a better parent or to get over addiction or to have peace in my soul. All good things. But we've, we've almost, I think in our culture where we've moved today, maybe it's because of the inundation of information. We're not like curious about the stuff behind tools anymore. We become too pragmatic, right? Me growing up, I was the opposite. I was way too curious. So as a kid, I took apart everything. My sister loves to remind me of this. We weren't wealthy, but when I was like 17 or so, someone gave us a VCR, like it was amazing. A VCR, wow, you can watch a movie when you want to by going to the store, checking out a movie, bringing it home, putting it into this device, and then watching, it was just incredible to me. So guess what I did to our VCR? I had to know how it works, I took it apart. And so my sister loves to say, yeah, and you never put it back together, which I'm like, hey, no, do not ruin my childhood. I put that thing all the way back together. It just never worked. That was the problem with it, right? right, So I was always curious, always taking stuff apart. I remember as a kid, like the number one magazine was Popular Mechanics, because people wanted to know how things worked. What's the most popular stuff? Places to get information now. TMZ, right? So-and-so did this, or Cosmo. Three steps to a flatter stomach. Man, the best you now. It's like, oh, okay. Because something's happened in our life. We've lost it in a way. Like think for a moment. In your pocket, you are carrying around a marvel of technology called a smartphone. Do you care how that thing works? Do you care about the code behind it, right? No, give me the three steps to play my music or the two steps to play that cat video or the one step to record my TikTok video. That's all you care about. Anyone care about the code behind TikTok or how transistors work? Or the fact that that phone can store like 10,000 songs on it? No, what do you care about? Make it work, that's it. That idea now has crept into the church. Now it's not like, well, give me like how things work here. No, I've had conversations with people and they're like, don't tell me about theology. Just tell me how to be a better parent. Here's the weakness in that. And it's this. It's Romans 1.16 that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Amen. It, it is the power of God unto salvation, right? What's the power in the Christian life? Is it tools? No, it's the gospel. We keep coming back to the good news that God became a man, dwelled, lived, died, rose again, and because of that, he restores a relationship with God. We keep coming back to that. That is the deep end. It's the power, right? So if your iPhone is not plugged into power, what eventually happens to it? No TikTok videos for you, right? That's what happens in the Christian life. Sure, you can go for a while on tools, sure. But eventually what happens is you run down and you're like, why am I doing this again? What, what does this all matter? Well, it doesn't, right? So John brilliantly It's the hub on which everything else circles in his book. He'll keep coming back time and time again to this message of good news that we proclaim. You don't leave it. It is the water for the soul of a Christian, the good news, right? No one says, you know what? I drank water yesterday. I don't really wanna drink any today. No, this is the water that we keep coming back to. And he adds something very interesting about God here. He says, God is Light. I love that. Do we know what light is today? Nope. Right? Is light a particle or is light a wave? Yes. That's the answer. Yes. Right? We don't know. And it's insane because, listen, you cannot have a particle going 300,000 meters per second, turning corners like that. It is Physically impossible. And yet, that's what it appears light does. So there is this massive, as much as we know today, there's this massive, like, what in the world is light? Still to this day. It's a mystery. Is there mystery in God? Oh, absolutely. All right? Try to explain the Trinity. Try to explain to your seven-year-old, how God came to be. Like, well, who made God? Well, nobody made, how can he, ha- right? You're, just, you're like, oh, okay, this is complicated because there's gonna be a mystery. There's going to be a mystery to it. But here's what I love about light. The speed of light is a constant. And we base a lot of things off the speed of light, that constant, that it doesn't change. Here's the incredible thing. John did not have Einsteinian physics But John had the Bible and the Bible says this about God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a constant, he's unchanging. And if you compare God to the gods of Greece or Rome that were capricious, if they were in a good mood, man, you got blessed. But if they're in a bad mood, you got blasted. He says, that's not God. And so if God has declared his love for you, know this, that does not change. It is unchanging, he is a constant when he declares his love, it's not capricious. It's not changing. It's not based on what you've done or have not done. It's based on the work of the good news on your behalf. And it's unchanging. How brilliant is that? God is like John always begins his discussions with God. Number two, following him is a lit life. Check this out, verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Not very PC, John was not. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There are ideas, concepts that are mutually exclusive, meaning they can't both exist at the same time. So many years ago, one of my daughters was in my house and she was singing the song, Jesus, I Adore You, and I Lay My Life Before You. Old, classic, beautiful song. But I started paying attention to how she was singing it and she wasn't singing it, Jesus, I Adore You, she was singing it, Jesus, I ignore you. And I lay my life before you. So I'm like, hey, time out, sweetie. The song isn't Jesus, I ignore you. The song is Jesus, I adore you. She, she put her hands on her little hips and she looked at me. And she said, well, dad, I ignore you. <laughs> Sassy little creature, right? You can't both ignore Jesus and lay your life before him, right? A lot of people think they can Well, John here says, here's another mutually exclusive reality. Light and darkness cannot exist at the same time, right? They're mutually exclusive. If you go into a dark room and you want to get rid of the darkness, what do you do? Do you rebuke it? Do you get mad at it and curse it? Do you say, I just don't believe in you, darkness? I don't feel you should exist in here. Do you cancel it? No, what do you do? on the light. It's that simple. Because light destroys darkness. They cannot exist at the same time. Believers have to turn on the light. So on Good Friday, if you were here, here's what I said. I I said, I think a lot of believers, they get into trouble because they stop thinking like Christians. You stop just thinking like a Christian is supposed to think. And we looked at Jesus, how in his darkest hour, he prays, he trusts, and then he rises up and conquers sin and death and saves the world. That Christians are supposed to be thinking like that, that we pray, trust, and we rise up. And when we do that, man, life is good. But when we stop thinking like Christians, darkness freaks us out. You know, darkness can freak you out It does a pretty good job of that. So many, many years ago, if you've been doing a memorial service, I probably said this, I probably used it in half of my memorial services because at the end of the age, when we go into New Jerusalem and we we are with God the way we're supposed to, it says this in Revelation, there's no more night. How cool is that? Darkness is gone. How cool is that? And I, say this, I tell this story because darkness is weird. It makes you freak out in ways you should not. So many, many years ago, my oldest daughter was nine, so it was 11 years ago. And my next daughter was eight. And we were walking home on a really dark night, no flashlights, no phones from my father-in-law's house, which is a quarter mile away. And we're walking and about a week before that, a cougar had been sighted in the area. So we're a little heightened, right? So my nine-year-old is like clutching this side of me and my eight-year-old is like clutching this side of me. And at that age, they're starting to not do that anymore. So I was like, glory, <laughs> right? So we're walking along and I'm being the tough guy and stuff. But to be honest with you, I was starting to get a little creeped out too. Like the hair, you know, starts to get up on your neck. You're like, boy, this is really dark right here. And I'm walking by Braille, you know? Cause you just know the way, you kind of just know, I know this is where I'm supposed to be, but you can't even see it, right? So we're walking along all of a sudden something erupts at our feet and runs off. There was screaming, most of it from me, right? Guess what it was? A jackrabbit, yep. I have never in the daytime been walking along with my daughters and seen a rabbit jump up and be like, ah, rabbit! But night, darkness does something to you. It amplifies everything. It makes you afraid. Here's what John is declaring to you and me. Listen, you can walk in the light. You'll never fear the rabbits of this world. So 2 Timothy 1.7 says this to every person that's put their faith in Jesus. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power. And soundness of mind. That's the spirit you've been given. We gotta think like that. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid of evil. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of demons. I'm not afraid of our culture. I'm not afraid of being canceled for some reason. I'm not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid of money, right? If I have to, when I retire, things change for me. If I have to be a greeter at Walmart, I'm gonna be the best greeter Walmart has ever seen. Man, smiley faces for every kid, high-fiving people. If you see me on 6th and H, spinning a sign, honk, because I'm loving life. I'm not miserable, right? I'm not afraid of that. Man, I'll do whatever I need to do. No problem, I'm not afraid of those things. I'm not afraid of, I'm not being cool to this culture today. I care less, right? I'm kind of worried, actually, about the church today. Because Jesus said this, that they're going to hate you for my name's sake. I don't think we're hated enough anymore. And, and if we're not hated, why is that? It's because we're no longer telling people the truth anymore. We're no longer standing on what we're supposed to be standing on that we're just kind of like, well, you know, I don't want to say anything because I might offend somebody. Well, I think we're supposed to be velvet steel. Yeah, soft and kind, no doubt, but telling the truth right? That we're supposed to be too hot to handle at times. That's what the early church did. They were too hot to handle and they changed the world. I want to be too hot to handle, right? Because I'm walking in the light. I'm not afraid of that stuff. So John says, hey, God's central. God is light. And when you were walking with him, you're going to walk in the light, right? And then he says this, a lit life. If you're walking in the light, a lit life is an honest life. Life. Look at verse eight. I mean, this is just brilliant. If we say we have present tense, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And he almost repeats it verbatim in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is Is not in us. So John says this. He says, the lit life is honest. That a believer deals with the darkness in their own soul. That's what they do. And if you've read your Bible, and I hope you have, one of the things that I loved about the Bible early on when I studied it was how the Bible treats its heroes. They're all flawed, are they not? Abraham, the father of faith, had a problem with his wife, lying about her, and then a problem with another woman, which led to big problems, right? David commits adultery. Moses is a murderer, right? You come to the New Testament, Peter's a denier. Like, they just flawed leaders. So when I started reading that, I made a commitment way before I was ever a pastor. And my commitment was this. If I am ever to pastor a church, I am gonna be raw and real. I'm gonna tell stupid stories about what a bonehead I am. Warts and all. I'm not gonna stand up here and try to be a superhero because that's not what I see in the scripture. So what I've done over the past 16 years now is I've grabbed every skeleton in my closet I could find and then danced them up here for you. And you've laughed at them mostly. And now I'm not afraid of skeletons in my closet because all of them have been brought out. Like, man, big whoop. So I'm pretty sure now, if someone tells you like, oh, you would not believe what Matt Heverly did, and they tell you some story about me, you'll probably respond with, oh, that's not half of it. You should know what else he did, come to church, right? It's so nice. So uh, Tuesday at our staff meeting, uh, Kerry Alderson was sharing, he's one of the pastors here, and he had been a teacher at North Middle School 10 years ago before he became a pastor. And um, We went to school, I went to North Middle School. So a couple of the teachers had asked him like, hey, uh, what church are you going to? This is about 10 years ago. He's like, I go to Edgewater Christian Fellowship. And they're like, the Heverly boys. Matt Heverly's over there. The Heverly boys came through here. Are you sure that's a safe church to go to? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, left my mark on North Middle School, good. (laughs) I love that, right? No worries, man. Every family has brokenness in it. Every tent has junk in it. Just some people are better at keeping the flaps closed. That's the only difference. But the Bible is like, you, you can be honest, right? You can be honest. And I've always wanted Edgewater to be a place where it's okay to not be okay here. Just don't stay that way. It's okay to be not okay. Just don't stay that way. Right? We want to move forward. So are we actually that kind of place? Do we actually allow people to not be okay? So I'll give you an example. If you got a Dewey, would you be here the next Sunday? I wonder, right? It's easy to say that stuff, platitudes, but how would that actually work out? Would we allow people in? Would we... Still love on them, right? Here's what it'd be like if we don't. It'd be like you getting really seriously sick and then saying, well, I don't wanna go to the doctor because he's gonna be disappointed in me. What, right? What are you talking about? So what are you gonna do instead? I'm just gonna Google it and die and I'm okay with that. Okay, that's dumb, right? We're not supposed to be that kind of place. We're supposed to be a place that says, listen, it's okay to not be okay. Because you know what light does? It reveals, doesn't it? If you walk in the darkness, man, you don't even know you're flawed. So today with like HDTVs, if you see these interviews with actors and actresses, they say they're wearing more makeup now than ever before. You know why? Light. It's revealing all their flaws. Well, guess what? The closer you get to light, the more you're supposed to see your flaws. Listen, older believer, the closer you get to God, the Father, the closer you get to Jesus, the more his light should be revealing your brokenness. That's what it should be doing. Read the Bible. When people get close to God, what do they say when they're in God's presence? Ultimate light. Are they like, I am varsity, I deserve to be here. Bask in my glory, God. No, my favorite is Isaiah. Isaiah chapter one through five is Isaiah point out all the sins of the other people. The Egyptians are bad, the Assyrians are bad. Like every neighboring place, they're all bad, all of them. Then chapter six, God shows up. And what does Isaiah say? He says, I am a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. God's light all of a sudden shone on his heart. And he's like, I'm just as bad as all those guys. Oh no, right? That's what light is supposed to do to you and me. It's supposed to reveal, huh, I'm this way too. Read when David, 2 Samuel 7, when God appears to him, man, he just falls on his face. Are you kidding? How about Paul? End of his life, he says this, I am, not I was, I am the chiefest of sinners. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you walk in his light, the more it's gonna be revealed. Oh. Oh, and God sometimes uses moments in our life to reveal it to us. So if I'm being honest, when I was 25 years old, I was following Jesus. I had plans about you know, going into the ministry and stuff. I was working as an engineer, but I'll be honest with you. I thought, I got this thing dialed. Man, I am doing so well. Got no problems with sin, nothing. I live by myself, you know, just doing my own thing, single guy, engineering, making good money. Just Man, I got this thing dialed, I'm awesome. I'm a catch. Then guess what happened? I got married and I had five kids. And guess what I found out? I am a selfish jerk. That's what I found out. Like these locusts, I mean, these five kids eat all my ice cream. Where's my ice cream? I want my ice cream, right? You're like, oh man, that's what God does. Like, oh yeah, you think you're so good? Let's shine some light on you, Matt. Oh man, I'm miserable. That's what's supposed to happen, okay? I think every child needs a sibling because siblings are really good at revealing what's inside other kids, right? Like it's healthy. You need a sibling. They are the book of revelation for you, (laughs) right? That's what it is. Praise God. Are we a people that are honest about our own flaws? Because John's like, you're a liar if you're not. You're deceiving yourself if you're not. Don't be a deceiver. Be honest. I think there are people that are around us that we should have been so honest with him, they could put us in prison. It keeps us accountable, and they pray for us, and they help us. And that's part of confessing your sins one to another. Like, that is helpful. Okay, this guy knows me. He understands me. All right, I'm walking in the light. Right? So a lit life is an honest life. And then lastly, he shows us how to stand back up and move forward. It's this great verse, verse nine, very famous verse probably the most famous verse in the book of 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The lit life is freedom, it's freedom. Here's the kicker, here's the power, here's the transformation. Here's how you get cleansed. Here's how you become what God actually wants you to become. It's confession. If you, that's our partnership in this. All right, I saw, okay, Confessed. Now what is confession? Okay, confession is not informing God about what you did, like God does not know. Like what, that's not your bike. You're a thief, hell for you. That's not God, right? What? You made more money than you told the IRS? Ah, did you tithe on it? <laughs> that's not God. You're not informing him. He knows already, right? So sometimes I think it's just like we sit there and we gotta inform God of everything we did wrong. And that's not it, right? Confession is not feeling bad about the side effects of sin. So listen to this verse right here. Godly grief, sorrow, sorrow, Brokenness. I'm a man undone. Godly grief produces a repentance, a kind of repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You want that kind of life? No regret, and I do. Whereas worldly grief, worldly sorrow, produces death. Right? One salvation without regret. The other, it kills you. So, what's the difference? Maybe it's like this. I have three daughters. Each of them have a key to their heart. One of my daughters, the key to her heart is vitamin S. It's sugar, right? Yes, she's sugar. So that's how you get to her heart. So she's four years old. She comes home from this birthday party. And I don't understand birthday parties now, but it's like you just load up kids with sugar and send them home. So she had like a hefty gallon 50 gallon bag of sugar. She like just comes home, she is happy as a clam. So I'm like, okay, dinner's coming up. I said, sweetie, listen, don't eat your candy before dinner, all right? So she's like, okay. Well, five minutes later I look over and she's eating something. She has some of it on her face. So I said, sweetie, what is on your face? And she said, what does it look like? (laughs) Smart, right? I said, it's brown. She goes, I think it's marker. I said, no. No, you deceitful little child. No, I didn't say that. I said, give me the bag of candy. And she like spit out nine Jolly Ranchers. She was just consuming it. So I'm, give me, give me the sugar. So I put it on the counter and she just goes into recovery mode. She's like, daddy, I am so sorry. I ate my candy. And she had a real tear that had formed and began to just dribble down her cheek. I'm like, just like her mother, man. (laughs) I'm kidding. So kidding there. Right? So I'm like, okay, great. And so we sit down for dinner. She sits right next to me, like glued to my, and she is petting my back. Daddy, I love you. I love you, Daddy. I love you. Like, eat your dinner, right? So she eats her dinner. She's midway through her dinner. She's like, dad, after I eat all my dinner and clean my plate, can I have my candy back? And it was on the counter. I said, no, no, you're not getting your candy back. She switched. Just like her head spin 180, shink, she said, then I will go grab my candy off the counter. And I was so shocked by this, like you're four years old and 40 pounds, really? And I don't usually engage my kids like this, but for some reason in the moment I did, I said, well, then I will take your candy and I'll put it on the top shelf. I will get a chair (laughs) and I'll bring that chair over there and I will climb up on that counter, and I will get my candy. I said, no, you will not. You will go to bed right after dinner. She said, I will wait till you fall asleep. (laughs) I'm like, ah, who is this child? Okay. Worldly sorrow or godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry that I'm the kind of person that would disobey my heavenly father. How can I have done that after he's done so much for me? Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I lost my bag of candy. How do I get it back? That's the difference. And worldly sorrow, because you're not really concerned that you're the type of person that can do this stuff, you're not being saved, you're not being changed, you're not being transformed, and it kills you. Or godly sorrow. Man, I'm a man undone of unclean lips, help me. That, that transforms you. So what is Confession. Here's the Greek word for confession here. And it's really instructive to me. It's homo logomen. It literally means, homo means the same. Logo or logos means word. And it's to speak. It's literally, you're speaking the same words as God. That's confession. That's all it is. It's you are agreeing with God. God, you said this was sin. And I'm not gonna excuse it. I'm not gonna try to modify it. I'm not gonna try to clarify why I had to do what I had to do. I'm going to simply agree with you. God, you said it's sin, and I agree with you. That's confession. That's where it begins, okay? And here's the thing. Confession will tell you whether you are a religious person or a follower of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Confession for a religious person means you're worse than you thought. I'm worse than I thought. And it feels like you lost something and you're going backwards. And so a lot of times I can tell when I'm religious because God reveals something in me and I'm like, oh, I get mad, oh man. I get mad at myself or I start blaming people or blaming circumstances or do all those things. Well, then I'm just being religious. That's what I am, I'm being religious. But when I'm a believer and sin's revealed, it's not that I'm like, praise God, I'm a sinner. yaha!" No, it's okay. God, you have revealed something in my heart. It's always been there. These circumstances just brought it out. The light just brought it out. I was a single guy living by myself, doing whatever I want. Of course, I'm not going to be selfish. N- now I've been revealed. I'm, I'm selfish. Okay. This is. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me on the path everlasting. Okay, this is the way forward. This is how I get changed. This is how I'm moving into all that God has for me. Thank you. Okay, I'm confessing this. I'm agreeing with you. I'm not making excuses for this. And it's the way that you step by step are cleansed from these things and walk into everything God has for you. It's confession. And very... Very, I think, infrequently is this modeled well. People don't do it. And then they get stuck in these cycles, like, why are things so broken up? Well, because you're not using the soap. Use it, right? It's there for you. Confess. Be cleansed. Don't make excuses. Don't blame. Don't do all that stuff. Confess, right? It's good to model it. So a number of years ago, I have a tendency... um, to overreact, and I have a tendency to be loud, like my voice, my voice carries. My mom told it to me when I was a little kid. You have a voice that carries, use your inside voice. I said, I don't have an inside voice. This is the only voice I have. You are responsible for my voice, right? But mom didn't like that, right? So my wife now is like, you have a very loud voice. Everyone hears you when we're at a party. Please try to help yourself. I'm like, I, it just, I wind up, that's what happens. So I can start low, but eventually it's max out, I'm 100%. So um, I can do that with my kids and um, I can overreact, I can do all those things, all right? So this one time, it was bad, so I grabbed the daughter that it happened to, and I sat her down, and she was young at the time, and I just read Ephesians 6, one through four. And it says there that, hey, children, honor your mom and dad. It's the first command with a promise, so it will go well with you. So I told her, listen, If you want life to go well for you, this is training ground for you. Learn to honor me even when I'm a jerk. You still gotta honor me for my position. But then I kept reading, because verse four says this. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. I said, that's where I blew it with you. I should have been much gentler. I should have been much kinder. I am sorry, because I provoked you in a way I should not have. And I saw the biggest smile on my daughter's face. And she just said, wow, I did not know that was in the Bible. I'm going to write that down. That's my favorite verse, dad. (laughs) Don't provoke me, dad. Right? We're supposed to model this well, because this is how you change. You confess and you're cleansed and we keep doing it. We just keep doing it, right? It's a pattern of this. So here's the thing there's one thing that keeps you from the Father. There's one thing that keeps you from freedom and honesty and salvation and heaven. Do you know what that one thing is? It's your good works. Right Right here, sin's taken care of. Sin's not the problem. Read the gospel, so always around Easter, I'm just immersed in the gospels. Like I'm just awestruck at how Jesus reacts so just almost, rudely to people who were self-righteous and thought they had it made. Like you're like, wow, that is a really strong word, Jesus. Wow, and how gracious and kind he was to people who knew that they were sinners. Just read Luke 18. It's the best example. The guy that just beat his breast and said, I'm not, I'm not worthy of anything. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Justified. The other guy bragged, I tithe and, and I fast and I'm a great guy and I donated a kidney and man, God loved me. He's like, that dude lost it. It's our good works that prevent us from doing these things because we think we're already there. Let God's light shine. The closer you go to him, the more his light should be shining and showing you like, wow, wow. So I had this, there's this little hymn that I like. So I wrote it out. It says, cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, stand in him in him alone, gloriously complete. That's the good news. It's the good news. It's why every Sunday we take communion because we need to be reminded it's the water of our salvation. We need to be reminded about the work of God on our behalf. So I want us as we take the bread I want us to think on this hand, you have absolute acceptance by God Almighty based on nothing you've done, based solely on the work of Jesus on your behalf. That's the gospel. And sometimes there are things that we're doing and we got to evaluate it. Am I doing this because I'm trying to earn what can only be given? Because you get frustrated by doing that. No, you just receive a gift. You don't try to earn it. You say, thank you. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for your work on our behalf. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That when we were our worst You loved us the most, and that's never gonna change. Eat of that acceptance. And then you have on the other hand, we know what we actually are. And we know that we want to be different we know we want to be more Christ-like. We know we want to be godly. Well, there's a way. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that there's a path forward. That we can drink both of His forgiveness of his cleansing this morning. Let's drink together. Amen. So we conclude every service at Edgewater with a final song. And then we'll have people standing up here that want to pray for you. There's nothing too big, nothing too small. The Bible says, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He's to be our burden bearer. So if you came in with a care or a heaviness or a weight or a burden or a concern, they wanna pray for you. That's what they're doing. It's their whole heart. Please allow them that ministry of prayer. Get prayed for. And then we offer baptisms we after baptisms because Jesus' great commission is this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The good news that I've conquered sin and death. That you can have a restored relationship with your creator. The bridge is back because of my life, death, and resurrection. Preach that. Make disciples. Teaching them everything I commanded. Book of 1 John. And baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So if today's your day to take that next step, baptism, beautiful, brilliant. Gotta author something in that moment that cannot be authored any other way. I'm convinced of it. So you can take those two options if you want. If you're doing well, every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father. Have hearts of gratitude. Be thankful. Would you stand for one final song?